Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Dugout, Premier League Preview, Football Social Daily. Eight games in and what a season it's been so far. Take your pick for title contenders, roll the dice for relegation candidates. So much still to play for in the Premier League, despite us now officially being more than a quarter of the way through the season. But it doesn't matter whether it's at the start, the middle or the end of a campaign. Manchester United versus Liverpool is always a big game. We'll be looking ahead to that this weekend as well as a host of other top flight fixtures on today's show, including at the London Stadium where there'll be no love lost between West Ham and Spurs. And can Newcastle United begin life after Steve Bruce with a win on the road at Crystal Palace? All that to come on The Dugout, the Premier League preview podcast featuring those who have been there and done it in the top flight. I'm Niall McCorn. I'm not one of those people, but with me are two who have done it. Former Southampton man Francis Benali's here. Good to have you back, Franny. Are you well? I'm very well, Niall. Thank you. Yeah, looking forward to, to joining you again on, on what will hopefully be a, a fascinating chat with, uh, with yourself and Jono. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And Jono is here. Michael Johnson, former Derby player. How are you doing, Jono? I'm good. Really looking forward to the weekend's games and also our discussion. So can't wait. Now, before we get started, Franny, since we last spoke, Southampton have actually won a Premier League game. <laughs> I was hoping that streak without a win could last at least until this week, but it wasn't to be. <laughs> yeah, you were probably writing some material uh, if, if we hadn't <laughs> have been getting that first victory, as you say. So, yeah, good, good to get that first win under our belts. And, um, yeah, an opportunity now. I'm sure we'll come to it when we discuss the game. But, uh, yeah, they, I, I was at the match and they, they were very impressive. Deserved the three points, played well. Ralph Hausenhutl's got some selection issues now in, in a positive way. Now, this podcast is called The Dugout and Jono, you're an England coach and you're there in your England garb and it looks like you're actually in a dressing room. So there could not be a more perfect location for you to do this podcast. Yeah, I'm literally in the dugout, by the way. I'm, I'm actually at St. George's Park, um, just going through a few um, camps, reviewing the camps up and coming international break in November. Um, so the, I've been out on the grass this morning so it's great to be at St George's Park literally in the dugout on this podcast so couldn't make it up this, this is a bit of a weird question but do, uh, do changing rooms still smell of deep heat these days or are, they, are the players using something else to sort themselves out um, it used to be deep heat and liniment I go far back as liniment um, but no it, <laughs> it doesn't smell as, as bad as what it used to be to be fair that was a great smell back in the day you usually walk in a dugout in the changing rooms and you would instantly smell the deep out deep heat and the liniment but not anymore I think you forgot to add Dubbin to that list as well. <laughs> we need to chuck that on there. Right, let's talk about this weekend's Premier League action. Only one place we can start, really. Old Trafford. Manchester United versus Liverpool. Some say this is the biggest Premier League fixture in the calendar, certainly between two of the biggest clubs in the English game. Two of the most successful sides we've seen in top flight football in this country. 4.30pm kickoff at Old Trafford on Sunday. 
Now, Jurgen Klopp, do you think he'll feel confident that his side, Franny, can do a job against Manchester United at Old Trafford, particularly with what he's seen not only from his own team, but also from Manchester United's form in recent weeks? Yeah, well, it'll, it'll obviously take some some heart, I think, from the, the, the last time that they were at Old Trafford, you know, coming from behind and winning 4-2 uh, back in mm. May. But um, yeah, you know, he's doing an incredible job there, as you as you mentioned, Niall. Um, I, I don't think he'll read too much into if you like Man United's inconsistency uh, or levels of consistency that they're, they're trying to, to, to attain this season. Um, there, there would have been an element of a lift for them, I'm sure, making that comeback midweek against Atalanta uh, and, and winning that game. Um, but you're right. I mean, this is one of the biggest rivalries there is. He'll be coming into it with, you know, fully prepared, knowing that they're going to expect somewhat of a reaction given all the negativity and talk about, you know, Solskjaer's position at the club and everything as well. And and United are capable, more than capable of bouncing back in this kind of fixture, just purely because it is Manchester United against Liverpool. So Klopp will be going into it sort of fully prepared, expecting a very difficult game um, and, but looking for his side to, to obviously continue the, the, the impressive form they've shown so far this season. I thought it was interesting what Paul Scholes said on BT Sport after the midweek United game against Atalanta, in which they came from 2-0 down to win 3-2. He said, you know, celebrate the win, well done United for coming back. But his words were, Jurgen Klopp will be licking his lips looking at that first half performance. What's your take, Jono? Because United have been patchy in recent weeks. Do you think they can use that midweek win and the, the manner of the win to their advantage? Or did it just paper over some cracks, do you think? No, you can see both sides of the coin here. Um, whilst the euphoria around, obviously, what happened during the week for Man United fans is great. And it's great for the neutral to see such an entertaining game. Goals, comebacks, Ronaldo scoring in the last minute of the game, which is great. But what Scholes is saying is quite right in, in saying that, is if you play like that in the first half against the top teams, you know, your, your, your Liverpools, your Chelsea's, your Man City's, you don't get to come back. And, and so for him, he's looking at it from a Man United's perspective as a, somebody who's, who's been in that change rooms, somebody who's key, you know, quite clearly understands the identity of Man United and saying, whilst it's great, I'm not celebrating it because I know that if you go against the top teams, you won't get the opportunity to come back like they did in the week. Is that just to do with Scolzi and what he's achieved at United in his career and in terms of his standards? Because a lot of people were criticising him saying, oh, it's a very negative view to take. You've just come from behind to win 3-2. Do you think that's just more of a, a, out of a passion for the club and, and a desire for the club to be successful? He knows what it takes. You know, he's been there. He's, he's won numerous titles. He knows what Man United need to do to get back to where Man United need to be. And so he's just talking from somebody that really gets the DNA of that football club and understands you cannot be Man United and, and play such a, a game again. It was like a boxing match. You know, they won the first few rounds. You know, he wants a, t- he wants a team that's going to be in control right the way through every round. And that's what Man United should be doing against a team like they played in midweek. But he knows if you go like that against the Liverpool, you get knocked out early doors, you won't get the opportunity to get back to come back. Do you think defensively for United, Franny, that there might be some concerns just purely because they shipped four against Leicester last weekend? They shipped a couple against Atalanta. Obviously, Varane's been injured and Maguire's come back in despite having a bit of a knock beforehand in the last two games. Do you think that with the ruthless form that Liverpool are in and how good they are at goal scoring, do you think there might be a few worries? And the chances are we're probably not going to see a clean sheet in this game. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, certainly. that there, There's the likelihood of seeing goals in this one. Um, well, they haven't won in, in, in the last three Premier League games. So, uh, you know, that's going to be a, a worry for United. Uh, and none more so than coming up against this Liverpool side that have got, you know, none more so than Mo Salah first and foremost, but also being very well backed up by Sadio Mane and Bobby Firmino. So, you know, that, that, that is probably the least likely looking lineup of strikers that you, you, you want to come up against as a, as a team or a, a defence at this moment in time. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to have the work cut out for sure, trying to keep those guys quiet. But again, just being this sort of fixture and the fact that they haven't won in the last three Premier League games, Anything can happen. Uh, you know, I really wouldn't like to call it one way or another, but 
if I had to sort of side one way, it'd certainly be leaning towards Liverpool in this game. I'm glad you mentioned Mo Salah, Franny, because you were a fullback in your day. How little would you have liked to have played against him? Do you think he's one of the best in the world right now? Because he's been unbelievable for the last few weeks. Well, again, you know, Jono is a former defender as well. We'll, we'll, we'll tell you, these kind of players are just special. Uh, you know, you can't challenge as you did back in our day, uh, you know, in the modern game now. But the way he just turns players inside out is is quite scary. I mean, that goal he scored against uh, Watford last week was was incredible, you know, to, to manoeuvre the ball in a tight space in the box and finish the way he did was just incredible. But we've become used to that. You know, we're just so used to that now. I, I would I would relish playing against that kind of player. But at the same time, it's going to be daunting for anybody that comes up for him in the kind of form he's in at the moment. Yeah, it certainly feels like that's the case between, you know, many an elite player, Jono. It's not so much fear of Mo Salah, but more a respect for what he can do because every player wants to test themselves against the very best players in the game, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. He's, his form at the minute, you know, he, he has to be the best player on the planet at, at this current moment in time. And with that sort of um, euphoria around him straight away, um, you know, if you're a manager, the way that you set up, the way that you coach your players to deal with him is completely different. You know, if, if I was a fullback, I'd probably want my wide player now to, to try and stop the ball coming into his feet. And then your midfielder as well because you know Henderson likes to play those balls around the corner. Then your centre-back, because you know he likes to make those runs across you into that into that um, left-sided centre-back position. So already, just by the very name of Salah, it's already affecting how you set up with four players, let alone your goalkeeper who might want to start a little bit higher because the ball over the top. So you can automatic, automatically start to see the kind of respect that he commands without even touching the ball. And that's the sort of thing that every defender will be will be waking up to once they know that they're playing against that front three. He had a waxwork unveiled at Madame Two Swords this week, Mo Salah. So I want to know where you, you boys are in Madame Two Swords. Why aren't you? <laughs> when you got waxworks in there? Have, have you not seen mine? Have you not seen mine? <laughs> no, maybe I missed it. I must have walked right by it by mistake. <laughs> Manchester United against Liverpool. Such a big game in the Premier League calendar. I'm sure it'll be exciting. 4.30pm Sunday. Kick off for that one. From one rivalry to another, West Ham against Tottenham is 2pm on Sunday. It's 5th versus 7th in the Premier League table, just a point between the two sides, which is interesting, Franny, because it feels like they're two sides in completely different mindsets at the moment. You've got Jared Bowen saying that teams will fear West Ham with the way that they're playing. They won 3-0 in the Europa League on Thursday night, yet Tottenham lost in their European game to Vitesse Arnhem. And despite the fact they're only a point away from each other and there's two places difference, Tottenham feel very much in a negative state of mind, whereas West Ham feel like they're on the up. Yeah, I, I think they'll, they'll they'll shift their mindset back to, to Premier League form and, and, and action again quite clearly. I mean, that's the difficult thing for sides that are you know, playing in Europe um, on a regular basis and it, it, it's juggling that squad, it's, it's managing the lack of recovery time uh, and, and preparation time to get ready for another game. Uh, so, it's, so it's going to be sort of how, um, you know, both these sides sort of adapt to that situation for this week. Uh, it, it sets up again another big game for, for, for London, uh, another derby. Um, but both these sides, you know, they've, they've been doing quite decent recently. Um, Tottenham getting back to, to where they want to be with some good performances. Two wins in their last uh, two Premier League games as well. But West Ham are, are, are starting to look the real deal. You know, I, I wouldn't want to be a team coming up against West Ham at this moment in time. You know, the belief, the confidence they've got. Um, you know, and, and, and certainly they'll be looking to have another good, successful Premier League campaign as well as they would like to do in Europe. I think finishing sixth last season, only two points behind Chelsea, they'll certainly be aiming to finish as high as possible and, and maybe prioritising as, as much as they want to do in, well in Europe certainly prioritising the Premier League again this season, I think. From a coaching perspective, Jono, what has David Moyes done which you like? Because, you know, it's easy to forget. Two seasons ago, West Ham were relegation candidates. Last season, they go and make a tilt for the top four for a large part of the season. They end up in the Europa League. And this season, they look decent as well again. So is there anything obvious that maybe the, the neutrals amongst us have missed that David Moyes has been doing, which has led to West Ham's upturn in form? Yeah, well, 100% he's got them fitter. Um, it's been uh, on stats 
And I think it's been mentioned previously that West Ham over the last few years were probably bottom end of the Premier League in terms of fitness stats. You know, this year and, and last year as well, he managed to get the team fitter. He's also made them really hard to beat in terms of how he sets up, how they make sure that all the little spaces, the pockets between the lines, they're not big distances, they're very close together now, which makes um, other opponents, they've got li little room to operate. But I think the real turning point has been the form of Antonio over the last couple of seasons. And when you set up like that, and you've got somebody that can not only link play with his technical and strength holding up play, but he's also got the license to go beyond um, um, defences. And that makes West Ham a completely different um, opponent than recent years that the, that you've come up against. They've always been fragile, you can get at them. But this, the last couple of seasons, I think they've, they've got better and better and tougher and tougher to break down, but also have got the, the license with your Bowens now, with your Antonios to go the other way and be a real threat. What about Tottenham then, Franny? It feels like they're in a real difficult spot at the moment with Nuno Espirito Santo. You know, I think it was quite evident from the way that the managerial pursuit played out in public that he probably wasn't Tottenham's first choice. And that's no disrespect to him. You obviously want to do as good a job as possible. Then there was a Harry Kane situation, the saga of the summer. Will he stay? Will he go? He ended up staying amidst big interest from Manchester City. Is it just a, an amalgamation of different factors as to why Tottenham are struggling right now, do you think? I think that's probably fair to say, Niall. It's, um, it's, it's that uncertainty and, and change of a new manager coming in, as you say, and then the whole drama and, and, and media uh, attention that was around the whole Harry Kane situation. Um, and and I, I guess that, that takes a little bit of time for the dust to settle again and for, for Nuno himself to, to, to really get his philosophy and stamp his way with the squad that are at Tottenham. So, you know, th those kind of things take a little while to, to, to fall into place. So, you know, with, with two wins in their last two Premier League games, it's, you know, you could say it's starting to, to look a bit more positive. Um, but this will be a big game and, and, and would go a long way if they could pick a result up in this fixture as well. All of a sudden, they're starting to put a bit of a run together, a bit of momentum as well. Um, obviously, it'll, you know, close that gap on, on West Ham as well and take them... Uh, uh, you know, a little bit further away from them in the table, uh, but I, I, I don't think I think I had a, a note where they haven't drawn any of their last fourteen Premier League games. Tottenham, they've won nine and lost five, so that's screaming out for a draw now this weekend, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we need one. We need one to fill in that blank in the column. Hammers against Spurs this weekend at the London Stadium, Sunday at two o'clock. From that to the early kickoff on Saturday, it's at Stamford Bridge where Chelsea welcome Norwich City. They welcome Norwich without uh, Lukaku or Werner in their ranks due to injury, Jono. With the way Chelsea have been playing this season and since Tuchel came in, and with the way Norwich haven't been playing that well, does it really matter that they don't have Lukaku and Werner? Um, I think it matters, but I think it's a great time that they're not fit to play in this fixture because it will allow them the time that they possibly need to recover. I mean, Norwich are really struggling and Lukaku's on favourite to obviously go back um, you know, eight games in and still no wins, which is complete contrast when you look at the Chelsea team, which are firing on all cylinders and at the top of the Premier League. So I think they'll be rubbing their hands, Norwich, that... You know, the two big hitters are not there, but still will be petrified at who's going to be coming in, in place of Lukaku. Yeah, certainly. It's a, it's an interesting one in terms of game plan, I think, Franny. Do Norwich go there and give it a real go and risk a hammering? Or do they go in there to dig in, maybe pinch something on the counter-attack? What's the, what's the approach here from Daniel Farker? Because it seems like everything he tries doesn't really ever come off. Oh, it's such a tough one, isn't it? When you're in this position, you're almost in between a rock and a hard place. I mean, you know, goals have been really tough for them to come by. I think Timo Pukki scored both their goals this season in the Premier League and one of those was a penalty. So, as you say, how do you go to, to somewhere like Stamford Bridge taking on a, a, a Chelsea squad that are in such positive form? It's a difficult one. I mean, they've got to find a way of trying to be tougher at the back. And I, I, I know, you know, they've had a couple of sort of nil-nil um, draws in their last couple of games, uh, they'll be pleased, obviously taking sort of like clean sheets, but they need to score goals somehow. Um, Chelsea, I mean, they've even got, you know, talking about the players they've got out in Lukaku and Werner, I mean, they've, they've got Ben Chilwell as a, 
a, a goal scoring threat now who's scored three in his last three games. So, you know, the, the threats are all around the pitch from Chelsea and, and, and Norwich, you know, you've got to say, uh, are certainly struggling at this moment in time. They've got to find a way of halting that 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 struggle, and they've maybe done that with a couple of results. But you've got to say, going to to Stamford Bridge this weekend is is not going to be one that they're they're likely to return anything away from. There's there's going to be more important games for for Norwich. I think the top sides like Chelsea. I think anything they can pick up against these sort of teams is going to be a bonus. What's going to be crucial for Norwich's survival this season is beating the teams in and around them in the bottom half of the table. Yeah, it's looking difficult for Norwich already, it has to be said, only nine games into the Premier League season. I think I agree with you, Jono, in what you say about, you know, this is a good time for Chelsea to not have Lukaku and Werner because obviously they've, they've got Norwich who you'd expect them to be even, even minus those two players. But their fixtures coming up are looking quite good. I think they've got your team, haven't they? Southampton, Franny, in the, in the Cup coming up soon. They've got games against Newcastle and Burnley in the Premier League. And then they've got Malmö as well, I think, in the Champions League. So in all fairness, Jono, if you're going to lose Lukaku for six weeks, then with that sort of fixture list, it's not the worst time in the world to lose him. No, it's not. It's, it's a good time to rest him. And as you said, with the up-and-coming fixtures, you would expect Chelsea to get a good return of points with those fixtures. I think the only thing that I'd say why they probably want to um, get him back into those sort of games, because the likelihood is that Fit Lukaku will be scoring in those games. And that looks good on your on your um, your finance sheet at the end of the season. It verifies the reason and justifies the reason as to why you've brought him in. Um, nobody will remember that he missed this game you know, come the end of the season. But if he scores another two or three goals, it then verifies you know, the amount of money that's been spent on him because everybody's expecting him to finish the highest goal scorer for the Premier League this season. So he'll be kicking himself that he's missing these kind of games because they would definitely yield a return of goals. Yeah, totally agree with that. Chelsea welcome Norwich to Stamford Bridge. That's the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday. Still loads of Premier League games to talk about. We'll take a quick break and we'll do them next here on Football Social Daily. This is The Dugout. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the show. This is The Dugout from Sports Social. My name's Niall. I've got Francis Benali and Michael Johnson alongside me. Two former top flight players and the team that won the top flight last season were Manchester City and they travelled down to the south coast to play Brighton at the Amex Stadium on Saturday. This one's a 5.30pm kickoff. Brighton are fourth. Franny, they've only lost once this season, but you'd have to suggest this game against the champions is their toughest test yet. Can they be competitive against the bigger sides in the league, do you think, from what we've seen so far this season? Well, that's going to be the challenge for them now. I mean, they've, they've had a wonderful start. Uh, you know, like probably fixtures have been uh, kind to them in, to, to some degree, uh, but you've still got to go out and beat whoever it is that is in front of you. So, you know, it's credit to them and Graham Potter to, to have had the start that they've had this season. Um, this will be another level of a test for sure. Uh, but they're at home, you know, and, and anything is possible if they get a decent start. But, you know, against Manchester City, you, you, you're facing an opponent that is more than capable of scoring five or six go- goals in a game against anybody. So, uh, yeah, you, you, you're just hoping, I think, from a Brighton perspective, that uh, you go out, your team play to the top of their ability and your opponent, i.e. Manchester City on this occasion, is is not firing on all cylinders uh, and that you, that would give you a chance, I think. And especially playing at home, again, that just sways the favours a little bit in your 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 direction. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great start from them, but uh, a, a very, very, and, and certainly probably their biggest test so far in the Premier League this season against City. I'm pretty sure I'm right in thinking, Jono, that Graham Potter's really well thought of in the coaching world for the job he's done, not just at Brighton, but beforehand as well. How good of an education is it for him to have come through that unconventional route of coaching somewhere like Sweden, where he managed Ostersunds to then come into the Premier League with Brighton? He's had a few seasons and now it looks like the fruits of his labour are really starting to come to light. Absolutely. I mean, everybody's got to applaud you know, particularly a young English talent who's doing so well in the Premier League. And what he had to do was to go out of the country to go and learn, to go and, you know, craft his his, his coaching philosophy and his DNA. And he's brought that back in at Brighton and he's been an absolute success. 
in terms of the way he sets up, what he's getting out of the team. And nobody, I know it's early days, but nobody would have said Brighton would have been in the top four. But they're there on merit. You know, they are a very, very good team. They know exactly what, you know, what each and every person in that team is expected to do. And they're carrying it out. And it won't be an easy game for Man City. You know, obviously, you know, everybody would put them down as the favourites Man City. But they're going to have to work very hard for everything that they get. Yeah, definitely. I think that Graham Potter is someone who really has a bright future in terms of, of coaching in the English game. And we're beginning to see exactly what he's all about as a coach. As for City, their manager, probably the best in the world. I don't think there's too many arguments about that. His City side, two points off the top right now. Chelsea currently the leaders, but they looked absolutely brilliant midweek against Club Bruges. What we've seen from City over the years, Franny, is these winning streaks, these crazy winning streaks that they go on. They did it last season where I think they were 10th, in December and everyone had written them off went on a huge surge won loads of games in a row and then they ended up winning the league quite convincingly in the end I mean there's nothing to say that with them being just two points behind being in third place and with the display we saw midweek in the Champions League there's nothing to suggest they couldn't do that again at some point this term no Manchester City are, are, are capable of doing anything as, as we've seen as we know they've got such a, a threat they've got a manager behind them that, that knows the game, uh, knows opponents, uh, and finds a way to, 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 to do things and be successful. And I think sort of losing the, the, the Premier League title, um, you know, sort of gives the squad sometimes probably that, that little kick. And, and maybe even somebody like Pep as a manager to think, right, OK, we need to bounce back. Uh, they've done that. Um, and then it's all about just staying on track and continuing form and confidence and belief. But again, you know, we've, we've spoke about one or two other sides and, how maybe Tottenham were affected by the Harry Kane scenario. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about Raheem Sterling at the moment at City and you know players like that and how they're going to fit in. And But there's just so much competition at a club like that. As a player, you want to be at the, you know, the, the, the top of your game. Manchester City is one of those teams that are at the top level. So you know, there's all those dilemmas and, and situations and scenarios that whether you're a player or a manager at a team like that, you've, you've got to overcome. And, um, you know, he's got plenty of plenty of options, uh, as we've seen by, by Reem not always, you know, being a starting player. Yeah, absolutely. Brighton against Manchester City at the Amex, 5.30 kickoff. Crystal Palace hosts Newcastle, 3 o'clock on Saturday, in the Toons' first game since Steve Bruce left the club by mutual consent earlier this week. Graham Jones will be in temporary charge. The fans have been suggesting, Jono, that they've wanted Steve Bruce to leave the club for a while. They've now got their wish. What do you think the result will be on the pitch in terms of a performance level now that the manager is gone and there's a new one in temporary charge? It's a really good question. And I I have empathy and sympathy with Steve. It's somebody that I played alongside at Birmingham City, somebody that managed at Birmingham City. And to see the way that it all ended, you know, it's tragic and the treatment that he got... um, Newcastle's a big club, we all know, we all know that. Um, I think with every club, when you get a new manager, there's always a new bounce, even though it's not a new manager, but there's going to be a bounce, there's going to be emotion. You know, p- people, you know, within the setup of Newcastle will obviously want to make sure that the team does exactly, if not more, than what Steve, um, Steve would have done. You know, the emphasis is now on a new manager to come in. How that sits with Graham Jones, you know, if he goes on a winning spree, there might be talk of him potentially taking over. But the likelihood is that they're going to have to get a new manager in to try and make sure that the new manager in general can get the attractive players that you know Newcastle you know, really looked to, to pull in. Um, so I still think, you know, I, I can't see much change in there. I think there's going to be an uplift in performance, but I can't see much because it's still the same staff. It's still the same back backroom staff that Steve Bruce had, even though they'll be trying to do as much as they can to make sure that they turn around the form of Newcastle United. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's still the same players as well, Franny. And there might be that feel-good factor off the pitch now that Mike Ashley's gone and the new owners have come in. And from the fans, they might be quite excited that someone new could be their manager. But at the end of the day, the players they've got are still the same players that are yet to win a game and are 19th in the Premier League. So that's probably the key issue that they need to sort out first and foremost. Yeah, I would say so. But at the same time, now that we know the the, the position with Steve Bruce, uh, I, I think Newcastle United as a club need to make that appointment, whoever it is. I mean, naturally, that they've got to go through the whole process of getting the right person in and the best person for the job. 
Um, but they need that person in sooner rather than later. You know, they can't be be leaving this in the hands of a, a, a caretaker manager for for too long because you know they, they they're in a, a, a precarious position at the moment in the in the table and they can't allow that to continue for too long to to you know they, they need to be in the Premier League um, with the ambitions that the, the new owners quite clearly have. So that's something that will need to be addressed very soon, um, and it will then enable. The, whoever the new manager is coming in to to, to assess the squad, look at the squad. Uh, it's quite clear they're obviously going to make changes and signings during the, the transfer window, I would imagine. But somehow they've got to get in and get this squad turned around somehow to start winning some games because you know no wins and, and only three draws so far this season is is not good enough, and they'll they'll need to turn that round very very quickly. Yeah, Newcastle travel to Selhurst Park to play a Crystal Palace side who were unlucky, I thought, against Arsenal. Jono, they conceded late. It brought Patrick Vieira to his knees in the technical area. You couldn't believe that they had conceded so late. They conceded late against rivals Brighton as well. But I thought they really controlled the midfield against Arsenal. The pressure they were putting on in terms of going to engage when Arsenal had the ball in the middle of the park, I thought was really, really effective. How do you rate the job that Patrick Vieira's done as Palace manager so far? And how dangerous are Crystal Palace? Are they a more dangerous side than the table might suggest? Yeah, absolutely. There's been a wonderful job um, done by not not only um, the manager, but I think in also the recruitment of the manager, the people upstairs, the senior leadership, the chief executive, the chairman, Steve Parrish, in, in, in terms of attracting a person like Vieira to the club. And then the kind of rebuild that Vieira has done in that team. You know, it's such a young, vibrant attacking team now. Um, and it, they're great to watch. You know, I've really, really enjoyed the game against Arsenal, and they, they find themselves, you know, winning the game in the last, sorry, losing the game in the in the dying minutes, which speaks volumes for how far Crystal Palace have come. Um, so I think you know they are definitely somebody that you can't, you know, leave out. You know, you know, we'd expect a top half finish with that team. Such has been the turnaround in that in that squad, and I think Vieira himself is. Has announced himself on the international stage that he's a very, very good manager, very astute, commands the respect from his Premier League days of any changing rooms, and I think he's doing an absolutely fantastic job. And just on Crystal Palace, you mentioned the youth element that they've got, and I'm sure Vieira will look to utilise that. You do a lot of coaching with the England age groups. Jono, I mean, what's admirable about Crystal Palace is how many young players they do bring through and give a chance. Players like Jezer and Raksaki, I know Michael Elise is a French lad, but he's, you know, he's only 19 and he looks really, really promising. And that's just two names off the top of my head. I think Wells Morrison is another one. So there's some really exciting, young, talented players coming through at Crystal Palace, which sometimes goes under the radar, I think. Yeah, there's a few players that you've just mentioned that I know well from the England setup. The likes of Jack Wells Morrison, a very talented young man. Then you've got the skipper at the minute, Mark Gooey, what they've brought in. A very, very good centre-back. And then everybody's talking about the midfielder, Conor Gallagher, who's, who's hit the ground running. And, and Mitchell, you know, a full-back. So there's so many good, young, promising players, you know, who've got this passion, who've got Crystal Palace in, at their heart. And they've got a leader in Vieira, somebody that they can look up to, somebody that knows the Premier League and understands the Premier League. And so I think the future in itself for Palace seems really bright. You know, he's got a, and we've mentioned all these names, we've not even mentioned Zaha, you know, somebody somebody that can turn any game on its head. So you can start to see that at any time, this Crystal Palace can sting you. This Crystal Palace team can do something that probably down the years we've not associated with the Crystal Palace. They're very exciting to watch for me, you know, alongside the teams like Brighton. They're one of the most exciting teams to watch at the moment. Great point. And, you know, amidst all those names, another we missed out, Ebere Eze, who looks exciting and lively and he's injured. So he's still got to come back into the Palace side. So all praise for Palace here. How will they get on against Newcastle? Minus Steve Bruce, three o'clock on Saturday. Everton against Watford is a three o'clock kickoff too. It's at Goodison Park. Watford hammered 5-0 in Claudio Ranieri's first game, although it's never easy against Liverpool. And the statistics don't look good when they travel to Goodison Park either, Franny. They've never beaten Everton in 15 attempts at Goodison Park in all competitions. It's going to be a tough ask, but can Ranieri respond to that humbling defeat last week, do you think? Well, he certainly would have been working with the squad uh, since that game. And, and and that would have been a, a, a tough one to take. You know, he, he, he 
probably came into the job realising the difficulty that he's got on his hands. Uh, he would have had a chance now to work with the squad a little bit longer and assess the, the players that he has. And it's it's going to be a challenge, not just this game at Everton, but for the rest of the season, I think. it's um, you know I guess the, the question would be, has he got the, the players uh, and the talent within the group to do the job ultimately that he wants to do? Um, it's, it's going to be a, a, a struggle for sure. But... You know, Everton have got a few injuries and a few losses and, um, you know, they haven't won for a couple of games now. So they'll be looking to bounce back. So it's going to be a, a, a tough trip for Watford to Merseyside. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we know what Ranieri is capable of doing from a managerial perspective. It's just whether he can, you know, sort of get this squad of players working how he sees and wants the game played. Yeah, and he's got experience. I mean, I think Watford's his 21st club, so I doubt losing 5-0 to a potential title contender is not something he hasn't seen before in his time as a manager. Of course, Ranieri, most famous for winning the Premier League with Leicester a few seasons ago. In terms of Everton, they've been pretty good at home, apart from last week where they were beaten. Um, but they don't have some of their key players, as, as Franny mentions. No Calvert-Lewin, no Richarlison for Everton, no Decore against this former club either. I mean, two of those players, John, are forward players in Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. But it's been up to Andros Townsend recently to provide the goals for the Toffees. Do you think it's unfair to expect him to carry on in the goal-scoring vein that he has done? Because it seems quite unusual for him to have five goals already by this stage of the season. No, but I think it just speaks for how underrated he is. Um, you know, we, we wouldn't have associated him with five goals, but why not? You know, this is a former England player. This is somebody who's been had a wonderful Premier League career. Um, and added to that, I think there's also a, a resuperant Demari Gray who's come back and is, is, is chipped in as well. So I think this Everton team is some is a team for me that is right on the crest of something big. Um, you know, the, I'd imagine the vision for them is to try and break into that top six team, stroke top four. Um, but you know, games like this, you know, you'd expect them to be closing out. You know, the likes of Watford coming to Everton. You know, for me, that should be a, a home win. Yeah, certainly. We mentioned Goodison Park on last week's show and Paul Dickoff told me it's his favourite ever away ground to go to as a player. And we bigged up Goodison Park and they lost. So I won't be doing that again <laughs> this week. Uh, they take on Watford uh, up in Merseyside, three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Time for our final break of the show. Still three more Premier League games to get our teeth stuck into, including discussions around Francis Benali's former club Southampton. We'll do it next after this. The Dugout Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily. The Dugout Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the show. This is The Dugout from Sports Social. My name's Niall. Two former Premier League players, Michael Johnson and Francis Benali, are with me. We're going to talk now about Brentford against Leicester. It's a two o'clock kickoff on Sunday. And if both sides play as freely as we've seen them do at times this season and in the past, Franny, this should be an entertaining game. Uh, I've got no doubt that it will be, Niall. It's, um, you know, Brentford have been absolutely incredible since they've, uh, they've come up into the Premier League. Uh, a, a real breath of fresh air. It's nice to see promoted sides doing well. Um, there, there's almost like a fearlessness that they play with, isn't there? And uh, almost being the, the, the new boys to the party, they're, they're going out, they're enjoying the ride at the moment. But at the same time, they're, they've got to be taken as a, a, a serious opponent. This, this is certainly not a team that anyone can go into lightly into a fixture thinking that they're just going to, you know, sort of easily walk away with the points against this Brentford side. So, Leicester City have got quality throughout their side as well. They're, they're, they're looking dangerous. Um, you know, that, that good victory against Manchester United in their last outing will, will give them more belief and confidence as well in scoring four goals in that game. So, yeah, the, 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 this fixture is one of those that, that certainly from a neutral's point of view, you, you'd be looking at it thinking there's, there's going to be entertainment, there's going to be goals in this game because both sides play with a real openness and a and an attacking mindset. Yeah, four goals against Manchester United, four goals midweek in the Europa League against Spartak Moscow, of which all four were scored by Patson Dacker. I was lucky enough to speak to Patson a few weeks ago and I couldn't help but notice how much of an enthusiasm he had for the game. 
sometimes players don't like talking to the media, but he had so much time and I could just tell his love for the game. He was a bit disappointed that he hadn't got off the mark for Leicester yet, Jono, when I had spoke to him. But since then, he scored five in two games, including four midweek. For a striker, I mean, that is, you could, you could hardly ask for any more than that. To get three is a bit of a striker's dream, but to score four, I mean, he must be absolutely brimming with confidence now heading into the weekend. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know what, I, before I stretch to think how many strikers have actually scored for in a game, um, so he's put himself right up there. Um, but it, it's great to hear, you know, you, you mentioned the enthusiasm, the passion for the game, because I think fundamentally that's where it starts. You have to have that or else it becomes a chore. You, you, you end up, you know, not enjoying it if you're not starting. And I can imagine a player like that who's got such passion, you know, is somebody who's a pleasure to be around the change room. You said he's got time for you. And that's why Brendan Rodgers creates that kind of culture with, You've got players like that, you know, unless you're a certain character, you can't come into certain changing rooms. And so it's not surprising when you mention Leicester and you mention the character of somebody like that within that setup. That's why Brendan Rodgers for me has been not just this season exceptional over the last few seasons, because those are the kind of characteristics that he demands within his squad. I mean, he couldn't stop smiling. Definitely an infectious character. And with his goal against United last week, became the first Zambian to score in Premier League history. And I know all of Zambia is behind Pats and Dakar. <laughs> every single one of them is watching every single minute that he plays for Leicester. Uh, and they take on Brentford at Brentford Community Stadium, two o'clock on Sunday. Time to talk Southampton now, unfortunately for me, but not so much so for Francis Benali. Uh, Franny, vital three points against Leeds last week. Your team takes on Burnley, three o'clock on Saturday is this game equally as important as the Leeds one last week for you it is yeah most definitely I mean they they needed to get that first win on the board it was getting to a stage for Southampton that they they, they needed to put some performances and games together into a, a result that wasn't just a draw or even a defeat um, and they did that you know as I was at the game they played extremely well uh, probably helped to a degree that Leeds United were missing a few players but at the same time, you know, they still went out right from the start. They pressed leads. They created chances uh, and ultimately earned the, the, the victory that they got on the day. And that now sets up this game against Burnley in a big way for them because this is a run of games last week against Leeds, the game against Burnley. And then I think they've got Watford coming up shortly as well. That's, that's three teams very close to Southampton in and around the table where the first of the three games they've won, if they can back that up now with another victory against Burnley, all of a sudden, you know, the confidence, the belief comes back and they're starting to put the points on the board to just move away from that area of the table where no team wants to be at the moment. So, yeah, they, they, they were impressive against Leeds. Ralph Hasenhutl now has the dilemma, I think, about does he stick with the team that got the victory and played very well last week or does he tweak it to a degree to maybe face the threat that would be quite different in some ways in, in the sense of Burnley that they come up against. One criticism of Southampton has been that James Ward-Prowse is the key to everything and without him, the team could really struggle. But he's been suspended. He didn't play last week. He won't play this week against Burnley because of a red card he received against Chelsea recently. But did last week's win against Leeds prove that the team is capable to get the job done without having the captain on the pitch? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, you'd have to say there's there's very few teams that are just a one-man team. Uh, and his replacement who came in for Ward-Prowse last week, Ibrahim, Ibrahim Diallo, was, was outstanding. He had a great game. He's developing into a great player for such a young man. But his opportunities have been rather limited because Ralph certainly goes to that, that almost instant selection of Ward-Prowse and uh, Romeo as, as his central midfielders. So, um, yeah, it's an opportunity for Diallo to come in whilst Ward-Prowse is out. Uh, the interesting side of it was, you know, Ward Prowse is very key to being on all the set pieces as well as being the captain. So, you know, it was interesting to see Nathan Redmond step up to to deliver on that sense, uh, taking free kicks, taking corners in, in Ward Prowse's absence. And, and he thrived, it seemed, on that added responsibility as well. So there was lots of positives to be taken from that game, albeit we were missing someone like our skipper on the day. In terms of Burnley, still yet to win this season, Jono. It took them eight attempts last term. This will be their ninth attempt to try and win a Premier League game this season. But they have they have had some success at St Mary's in recent years. Just how at risk do you think Burnley are 
of relegation this time around? Well, the table doesn't lie. You know, you're literally one point off the bottom. Um, so they are at risk. You know, one thing with, with Sean Dice, though, he knows how to, to make sure that Burnley are a strong outfit, that they stay in this league. He's done it year in, year out, limited resources. So he knows he knows that these kind of games are the games you expect to go and win. You know, the, the, the league kind of goes into three kind of tables. And when you play the teams like your Norwiches, like your Southamptons, those teams what are down there, this is where now, you know, you, you, you're worth your salt. So I'd expect it to be a tough game for Southampton. Um, and it's the kind of game that, you know, this will have a bearing effect on what team is going to be down there for the majority of this season. So it's going to be an interesting one for a completely different reason than the Liverpool and the Man United game. This is equally as big for those fans. Yeah, 100% Southampton against Burnley, three o'clock Saturday. We mentioned Leeds in that discussion just there and they're in a bit of trouble at the moment as well. They take on Wolves at Ellen Road, three o'clock Saturday. Just from what you saw last week with Leeds playing against Southampton, Franny, they were beaten, obviously, but how much difficulty are they in? You mentioned the injuries. Do you think that is the crux of it or are there other deeper issues that maybe you picked up on? Well, they've, they've certainly not started the season where they were last last campaign, were they? And we, we, we know that intensity that they play with, that openness that they play with. Uh, for sure, you know, missing missing some players is, is going to affect them when they're the quality of those kind of standards uh, that, that, that they have. Um, yeah, they, they just quite weren't on it in that game against Southampton last week and struggled a little bit because of that. And and I think when they are missing a few of the players and they've had that 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 sort of le- dropping uh level of performance to where they were last season is is just resulted in in their struggles so far that we've seen this this year. So they they need to obviously try and turn that around. This this will be a, a tough test. They yes they're at home that will help but but Wolves are a side that are, are starting to put things together a little bit and looking very comfortable, very confident. Uh, so it's going to be another difficult game for for, for Leeds, but um, it, it certainly will be key to get players back, being fit, being confident and starting to turn their season around because it hasn't been a great start for them. No, it certainly hasn't, but it was a massive win for Wolves last time around against Aston Villa. A free kick deflected in at the death from uh, Ruben Neves and that was a, a brilliant moment for the Wolves fans. What's that feeling like, Jono? We've spoken about derby days on this podcast before and how the players are always up for them and trying to perform as well as they can for the fans in those games. But what is that feeling like when you've walked off the pitch and you've won the game right at the death? I mean, can you describe what the the emotions are like in the dressing room when that happens? It's massive relief. Um, There's no better feeling than Franny will um, admit this as well. I'd imagine that there's no better feeling than when you score a late winner. Um, because you know that's it. You know there's very little time for you to to hang on if you are hanging on. And the, and I think it was the manner in which Wolves won the game. I mean they were they were literally out for the count and to come back like that. You, you know it looked like they would have you know been happy with the draw, let alone to go and get a late winner like that. So you know the bounce and in a local derby as well. You know the bounce that that will give you, the euphoria going into a fresh week, going into training in a local derby, the newspapers, the local papers, the the media, the the, the fans in and around the ground. Now they've got the bragging rights, and that is a big thing for you, for you as a community within that Wolves um, team to be at, to be able to 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 ride on that vibe of that good feeling in that city. So the springboard for this game is there for Wolves. You know they were going into it. With a spring in the step, and um, you know, I think they'll be, you know, they'll be in for a good game. I, I, I'd imagine that there'll be a good performance this weekend. Just finally, then, because we've reached the end of this week's show, did either of you ever score a late winner? Jono, a smile on your face. Did you ever bag one? Yeah, one of my favourite ones at New against Newcastle. Um, you know, I I could relive the moment for you, but I won't. But what it, <laughs> but what it, it, it was a ninety. 19th minute winner in the, in the Wolverton Cup um, quarterfinal to send us through to the semi-final, and you know the euphoria, the stadium, you know that kind of feeling lives with you. As you can see, it's already bringing a smile to my face. I'll have to get on YouTube and watch that back later. Was it a header by any chance? <laughs> no, no, no. It was a volley. Oh, volley! Even better. <laughs> He's showing off. Uh, well, listen, I only scored one goal in nearly 400 games, so I certainly never scored any late winners. That's for sure. But um, 
yeah, you know, I, I used to take great pleasure in, in seeing my teammates and, and, and other players scoring goals. My, I used to enjoy the defensive side probably a little bit more in, in many ways. But uh, yeah, you know, to to score as a late goal as a as a team is just an incredible feeling, as Jono said. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just wish I'd managed to score a few more, but none, none, none as good as that volley by the sounds of it, Jono. I'll have to look that one up. I'll have to look it up. Hey, Franny, you, you didn't have to score them with Letizia around, you know, he was the one who... Exactly. Yeah, listen, if, he, if, if I had him in the team, it would have just been crack on Letizia, I'll just stay back here. Do you know what, mate? Alan Ball joined the club many years ago, and when he walked in, he first one of his first team meetings was, right, guys, he said, I want you lot, and he pointed to all of us, apart from Matt, he said, I want you all to run around, and when you get the ball give it to Matt. And I thought, well, that's all I ever do anyway. So it was perfect. <laughs> Football's a simple game, eh? A simple, hey, that, simple game. That's, that's called good management. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Alan Ball, a legend, one of few people to straddle both sides of the M27 and be respected for sure. Jono, Franny, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us on The Dugout. Don't forget if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss another episode of the podcast. Again, we'll be back again tomorrow uh, and we'll be looking back at all of the weekend's games. Fergal Brennan will be joined by two great guests then and we'll be back of course through every subsequent day of the Premier League season we're the only show that will bring you a new podcast every day of the campaign but thanks for joining us that's it for today and we'll catch you again next time The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Judy was boring Hello Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com It's my little escape Now Judy's the life of the party Oh baby Mama's bringing home the bacon Whoa Take it easy Judy The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.